my name is Pastor Laura, and I'm here with Kenneth and Carol, um, and uh, we are excited to be here with you. And uh, Kenneth is our guest this morning, is going to uh, tell us a little bit about his own story, his own journey. Um, we've kind of been going through um, people's spiritual journeys and um, telling their life story and how God worked in their life in the lowest valleys and the highest hills. And um, so Kenneth is I'm going to talk him up a little bit. Sorry about, sorry about this, Kenneth. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. <laughs> I know. It's so easy to do. Um, so Kenneth is a really cool guy um, that I got to meet when I first came here. And one of the coolest reasons Kenneth is such a cool guy is because he was one of the 10 people that started Grace Avenue UMC 21 years ago. Um, which is really, really cool. So I, you would call you a founding member, Yes. Yeah, I guess that would be true. As I I tell people, I was a member of Grace Avenue before we had a name. Right, exactly. That's awesome. But also, you're very, very involved in the conference, um, the United Methodist Conference. Um, So all the North Texas churches come together, and we have a conference, and... um, uh, they're not just led by clergy, but they're led by lay leaders um, who are um, take their job very seriously. Um, they do just as much as pastors um, and just as much work on the ground. Um, so Kenneth has served uh, in several church committees and then was elected to the general conference, which is like the really, really big conference um, in 2019. And he spent his career mostly building and selling technology-based companies. Um, so and you're currently the president of a nonprofit called Frisco Fast Packs? Well, that's a little outdated. I, oh, I, I, ro- I rolled okay. off in May, uh, <laughs> but I'm um, I'm now going to be serving on a new uh, Christ Foundry uh, oh, mission very board cool. uh, starting next year. So, yeah, that's awesome. So we kind of get that you are a servant. You're a servant leader, and that is what um, that is what really Christ is calling all um, Christ disciples to be. And so we wanted to have Kenneth come on and kind of tell a little bit about his journey, his ups and downs, and um, and then and then ask some questions. So Kenneth, um, you want to say an introduction about yourself? Yeah. So first of all, good morning. It's I'm glad to be here. Thrilled to be here. And let me say just happy Thanksgiving to you guys and all of you. Uh, in case I don't get that opportunity, uh, as Laura said, I've been a member here at Grace Avenue for since the very beginning. Um, served in a lot of different committees and things, and also serve as the district lay leader uh, for our district, uh, which encompasses about 63 churches uh, as well. I also serve as an advisor on the Center for Church Development, and I had the opportunity about two years ago to uh, convince our conference to try a new way of building in new churches, a new way of financing for new churches called ACE, which is the Accelerated Church Expansion Program, Mm. uh, which our own Grace Chapel is an ACE church. And so... We're actually living into that that new program, but That's um, awesome. uh, just to back up a bit, as I was preparing for the sermon and thinking about my own story, it occurred to me that there God has put people in my life along the way. Mm-hmm. There have been these key individuals throughout my journey that have sort of shaped and molded me and shaped what I 
become about. And, you know, I just, I thank God for them. And I thank, you know, them for taking the time to share their story with me. And I hope that by sharing my story that there's something that you can take out of it. But um, I'll give you just a couple of points uh, with the story and then we can open it up to questions. But it really began back when I was 13 years old. I had a friend of mine who wanted to play basketball. And I wanted to play basketball too. He was playing for a church. And so I joined Lakeside Baptist Church. I wish I could tell you I joined it for aspirational reasons, but I joined <laughs> it for three reasons. One, because they had a, they played, I got to play basketball. Number two, they had a church van that would come pick my brother and I up Sunday mornings. And three, they had donuts. And that was okay. really the reason that donuts. I, I we, started doing it. We need so, to make sure we have donuts. We do have some back yeah, in the back. Oh, okay, yeah, so, back there. Yeah. <laughs> so it, you know, I didn't, I didn't go there to uh, learn about God or to learn about the Bible or anything else. And, but I got to admit, uh, I started to learn about this really cool guy named Jesus and what he was about and everything else. And um, I didn't necessarily agree with everything that was being taught in the Baptist church there. As my wife, Suzanne, would tell you, she's a recovering Baptist. But, uh, you know, I did, I did really begin <laughs> to learn about Jesus and what Jesus was all about. As a matter of fact, that church was so instrumental to my brother that my brother is now a Baptist minister down in DeSoto, Texas. So you can imagine the conversations that we'll be having this Thanksgiving um, could be interesting. But, um, you know, move forward from there. I met a, a, a woman uh, named Martha that became my first wife. And her father was a guy named Ben Feimster. And you got to be my age or older to know that name. But Ben was very instrumental in not only the North Texas Conference, but Central Texas Conference. He... Um, pastored several churches. He was district superintendent in both conferences. And in 1988, I actually got to go to a jurisdictional meeting in which Ben was uh, a bishop candidate to become bishop. I found out about eight, nine years ago that Kristen Lane actually worked for Ben early on in her career, which was wow. just an interesting connection. But Ben is the one that sort of taught me about John Wesley and mm. taught me about um, this thing we call Methodism and the connectional uh, value of the, of the Methodist connection and the idea of grace and mm -hmm. do no harm and all those kind of things. It was also Ben that gave me a unique opportunity. I got to go with him on Sunday mornings as he visited other churches. And mm -hmm. so I had this unbelievable opportunity to go to and hear lots of different worship styles, really lots did. of different preaching styles, uh, even about hospitality. You know, some churches would want you to stand if you were a visitor, and other churches Ooh. wouldn't let you leave till you were part of their potluck lunch, <laughs> which was really my favorite. So you see a food theme going on. Yeah, here, right? yeah. Um, I mean, potlucks are our big part of Methodist tradition. Oh, it's <laughs> some, uh, some of the best fried chicken I've ever had, right? <laughs> but... Um, and then move forward, uh, as I was a young man, I joined a church down in Houston and met a guy named Todd Harris. He was a newly ordained associate pastor. And Todd and I talked a lot about the Bible and God and Jesus. 
and, and kids and marriage. And, you know, I was at that stage of my life. And Todd is the one that really taught me the value of serving. Mm. And Todd got me involved in their committee on education, uh, capital campaign, a building committee. And I, this is where I really began to love being a part of a team of people that were trying to drive their church forward and drive mm. the kingdom of God forward. And then um, there was a time in my life which was really difficult, to be honest with you. Uh, Martha and I were not doing well in our marriage. She wanted a divorce. I became very depressed, uh, started eating my depression and ballooned up to about 320 pounds and blood pressure was out of whack and just a number of other things. And I really felt like maybe God had left me mm-hmm. in that moment. And we ended up moving to this little city uh, because of job changes called Frisco, uh, <laughs> which we had about 16,000 people here at the time. Um, and then Martha's father thought maybe if we got back in church, then you know things would be better. And uh, so he reached out to this young pastor who was starting a new church. And the next thing I know, I've got this young a guy named Billy sitting around my kitchen table telling me his vision for starting a new church. (laughs) I wish I could tell you that Martha and I made it. We didn't. We're still friends. Uh, But Martha and I got divorced, but I found Grace Avenue Mm. in that time. And uh, I honestly would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when Billy pitched pitched the vision to you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, Imagine if you will. Uh, yes. <laughs> but it's it's been one of my 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 absolute blessings to watch what this church has done mm-hmm. and what this church has happened. And then I ended up marrying Suzanne. God put Suzanne back in my life. Suzanne and I were actually friends in high school. Come full circle. And then uh, I give Suzanne a lot of credit for just teaching me about generosity mm-hmm. and about giving and about. Uh, moving from giving being an obligation to it being a celebration and watching what this church has done with those gifts and the number of people they've impacted. And then, as you said, I give Grace Avenue a lot of credit for the foundation they've given me mm. to move into the conference level mm. stuff and yeah. what I've done there. Um, just recently, one of the things that we did, if you don't know, uh, we had jurisdictional conference. We elected three new bishops in our jurisdiction and in the process of doing that, we made history. It was the first time oh, an African-American right. woman had been elected in our, in our uh, jurisdiction. It was the first time two women had been elected in our jurisdiction. And it's the first time in all of Methodism that a Native American was elected bishop. And so uh, I'm, I was very excited to have been a yeah. part of that. And then we also are going to be receiving a new bishop. Bishop, bishop Signs will start his activity uh, in January, and I, I got to be a part of a group that welcomed him to our conference on a Saturday awesome. morning breakfast. And so that was really awesome. So see what I mean by he's a cool dude. So it's it's been a <laughs> it's been an incredible spiritual journey, both ups and downs, yeah. and everything about it. Yeah, and I think I think. We often, when we see people like yourself who are servant leaders, who are doing great things in the world, we assume their life has just been perfect and it just like, and we're like this and now they're at the top. But that isn't 
I, as far as I know, that's never how it works. Um, I think our reality is dynamic. So it, there's always going to be this. And, um, and in that, we learn so many different lessons. Um, I think you, you picked our scripture um, this morning, which I love, about Moses and the burning bush. Um, tell me why you picked this uh, story. So it, it, it just really speaks to me because as you look at that scripture, you know, God through the burning bush is asking Moses to help him save his people. And it just always sort of amazed me that I, f- I hope that if I was standing and God was talking to me through a burning bush, I don't know that I would have the guts to say, no, I'm not the right guy. <laughs> I mean, Moses is constantly through that whole scripture saying, no, who am I to do this? I'm not the right person. He doesn't say, absolutely, God, I'm with you. Let's go do it. And it just resonates with me because I, I don't know how many times in my life I've felt the calling by God to go do something. And my reaction is not yes. My reaction is, who am I to go do this? Mm. And I'm not the right person to do this. I don't have these skills to go do this. I don't have the, you know, the right words to go mm-hmm. say what I need to say. As Moses said, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what I love about this is God says, I will be with you. Mm. Yeah. Right? That was, I mean, at the very end, that's... Right. He literally says, says I will be with you. I will be with you. That's what he says. And the other thing that sort of comes to mind when I think about this scripture is, and I think we forget this sometimes when we fill that pool from God, God chose us to do this mm-hmm. before we even thought about doing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I think about my spiritual journey and the times that I've said yes in the times that I've said no, and then I wish I would have said yes, or the times I've said no, and God just stayed on my heart until I mm. had to say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it but just, it, it just the whole interaction between Moses and God, yeah. I sort of feel like I've been it through It resonated that. with yes, you. Yes, very much. I think, and I think that's a very common response to, um, I, can, I know in my life um, that when I've been kind of called or pulled or nudged, um, maybe not so politely to do something by the Holy Spirit, um, I would say the same thing. Who am I? Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not righteous enough. Until finally, you know, I answered the call. But I think it's a very common um, response. Yeah, I think there is this feeling of maybe it's arrogant of you to think, oh, God has called right. called me, <laughs> like okay, precious me, um, into into ministry or to do this, you know, to be the district lay leader, to do this thing. Um, but I think what we see in this passage is that you go nowhere without God mm-hmm. and without the Holy Spirit in you. So yeah. it's really. I think for all of us, the ability to raise our hand and say yes and take that first step and then God goes with you. There is nothing that you do out of your own ability. And I think when we're able to step into those yeses and then point to the one who like coordinates all of it, the one who is the one that guides us every single step, then it's not a, a thing of arrogance. It's, um, 
I just said yes, and everybody can can yeah. say yes. You know. Well, awesome. Let's uh, let's read that scripture, Carol, and let us know what's going on with Moses and God. Yes. So this is the story of Moses at the burning bush, as we already talked about, and it is found in Exodus. And I'm reading um, chapter three, verses one through twelve a. So it says. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, the cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. So one of the questions that came out of this um, story and out of Kenneth's life is, what if Moses had not done what he did? What if he didn't say yes? How would Moses' life be different? Okay. Well, <laughs> me. well um, th- that's all you, Carol. <laughs> no pressure. Um, you know, that, that's a really interesting question because I think for, for Moses— he would have missed out on this fulfilling purpose in his life. Mm. And obviously we think about the story of the Egyptians and if Moses was the one, was the guy, then, uh, you know, would the Israelites have stayed in slavery right. in Egypt? Yeah. Would, would the story be different? And I feel like that is a very interesting question where we're all asking ourselves because one time or another, at one point or another, there's going to be something. I think mm-hmm. for all of us that if we're really listening, we feel like we need to do. Maybe it's pay for a meal. Maybe it's drive over to a friend's house that you know is going through a hard time. And the question is, what would you miss out on by not being a part of that experience that God has called you to? And then what do the people, what do the Israelites, what do the people in your life or the person that needs a meal, what do they miss? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think about, um, you know, one of the things we learn in seminary is something called the Exodus tradition. And this story of Moses liberating God's people is so central to all Jewish and Christian faith because it shows a God who lifts up the oppressed and the marginalized and sees when people are struggling and 
actually calls people to liberate them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I looked when I saw the scripture, let's see, that the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of the people in Egypt. I have heard them crying. I, I, I. Um, that the Lord witnesses, that God mm-hmm. witnesses when we are in pain and we are struggling, when we're in those hills, um, in the valleys, and it feels like we're in complete darkness and we're completely alone. Um, and it's not Moses, you know, because I think when, when we're asked to do something and we say, who am I? Mm. We're really asking the wrong question. It really should be, oh, I'm just a servant. That's right. I, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. You are the one that is doing the liberating. Mm-hmm. I, you're just doing it through me as, a, as an embodied person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we get so stuck on the I of, well, I have to be powerful enough. I have to be righteous enough. I have to be good enough that we don't allow God to work through us. We ha- kind of have this, uh, like you said, this egocentric mm-hmm. um, ar- arrogance in mm-hmm. many ways. I mean, I, I've seen it in my own depression, um, you know, where you say, oh, I'm, I'm so crappy, or I'm not a good this, or I'm, and that's really, in many ways, arrogant that you're focusing so much on yourself. Yeah, so I like, I, I like the idea of missed opportunity and the idea of servant. Uh, I know for me, there were, there were times in my life when I've gone into, I'm going to go on a mission trip or I'm going to do something and, and I get somewhat this inflated ego of I'm going to go in there and I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to do all this. And I end up being the one that's blessed by the people that I'm part of. Always, um, yeah. And, you know, some of the most memorable moments of my life is because I said yes mm-hmm. and because I was there and I did that. Um, I'll just share one quick story. We were down in Beaumont after a hurricane, uh, working on people's houses. And my team had finished up uh, about a 45 foot long uh, wheelchair ramp for a person. And Scott Chipley, who was running the mission program said, I want you to go over to this house. It had been flooded. It got up to about uh, five and a half feet of flood water in this house. And I need y'all to um, put in all the baseboards, all the window sills. I need you to paint the entire house. We need to put in a door. And I'm going, Scott, you, you realize we've only got a day and a half left to do all this. And he goes, this other team's finish up. I'll bring them over. Well, late Friday, we had about 23 people in that house that were painting the house. And um, everything was painted except for a watermark that was on the front door where the water had gotten up. Mm. And the owner of the house, I was standing there as he took the paintbrush and he painted that last part. And with tears in his eyes, he turned to me and he said, it's over, it's mm. finally over. And we just hugged each other. And you know, it was this unbelievable moment of this man's struggle and misfortune and everything else. And, and just him being able to move on with his life. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't the one helping him. He was the one helping me mm-hmm. realize how blessed I am mm-hmm. that I have a house and I have all these things. And so um, just like my wife and I went over to Africa on the Zoe mission mm-hmm. trip, and we were hugging these kids, these orphans who 
had been begging on the street three years ago, and now they were their own business owners and how proud they were of the businesses. And I'd gone over there thinking we were going to build homes and we were going to do all this. And, and we asked Regan, who's the director over there, aren't we going to build anything? And he said, no. He said, first of all, you guys don't know how to build stuff. I'll just have to fix it when you leave. That's so true. <laughs> and uh, he said, I just need you all to be there for the kids mm. and to hug them and love them and know that they're worthy. Mm. And, uh, you know, those are the missed opportunities if we don't live into what mm-hmm. God's calling us to do. Yeah. Um, and to your point, it's not about us. Mm-hmm. It's I, I believe God has this unique way of saying, come help me do this. Right. And in the process, you will be blessed more mm-hmm. than you would be without it kind of a thing. Well, and in that moment when you were there um, with the man as he mm-hmm. painted the watermark, um, I mean, in that moment, you were mm-hmm. journeying with that man. You were the presence of the Holy Spirit to mm-hmm. him in that moment. And we forget that God shows up in so many mm-hmm. different ways, and God can sh- show up through us. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like that man was the Holy Spirit to me. Exactly. Exactly. In that moment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so, as we learn to listen to the Spirit and learn to hear God and what God's calling us to, um, what has happened or what can happen if we just say yes. And maybe that's, for me, sometimes I don't even say the word yes. What I say is open my heart. Mm. Because maybe I don't feel like, um, I don't feel the yes, but I, I, feel, I feel like I can open my heart and then God will do the rest of the work. Yeah, you know, when I was thinking about this question of what happens if you do Mm -hmm. say yes, I think about that first time when I went to Laura Eccles Richter's office to say that I thought I was feeling a call to ministry. And I was sitting in her office and we were talking about going back to seminary. And I just, in my mind at the time, I thought that was just hilariously ridiculous, (laughs) you know, that I would ever do something like that. And um, here I am, you know, halfway through year two, and I think about what all God has given me the opportunity to learn about, about God, um, to learn about my faith, mm-hmm. to learn about the lives of other people through my work in the church. And... I think that there is so much more that I could, than I could have ever possibly imagined in that moment that I have been given the gift of learning about um, that would have never happened if I hadn't done that crazy, ridiculous thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that there are those moments where you say yes and this entirely different door opens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel that way about my call too. Um, people, I, so I've been working in the church since I was 22 and people would always ask me like, oh, are you going to get ordained? Are you going to do this, that? I was a choir director for most of those, or director of music for most of those years. And um, so I thought about it, but I definitely had this like, well, I'm not there yet. I'll know when I'm there. And then when I'm there, then I'll get, then I'll get ordained. And the thing is, you're never there. It's actually when I went back to seminary, when I was doing my pastoral internship, that's when I got there. 
it was through that that I deepened my spirituality and and opened my heart to what God was calling me to. Um, yeah, I think we often think we have to be in a certain place to answer the call, and that's just not true. Yeah, I know for me, you know, a little something about me, I'm, a, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I am a driver. I've always sort of been one of these that needs a plan, needs, you know, I, Matter of fact, I tell my wife at times when I'm the most stressed is when I don't have a plan and just leave me alone for the next 30 minutes so I can figure this out. So when I was younger and I felt this calling, there was a lot in my mind that would say, well, I don't have this figured out. I don't have this figured out. And I need to know what this is going to be. And we need to have, you know, from step A to step B to step C. And as I've gotten older, I almost want to use the analogy of by saying yes to God, you're throwing yourself into this river and you're just letting God sort of take you on a ride. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I got the text from Christopher on Monday saying, do you want to preach this Sunday? You know, my first reaction was, no, I I don't want to do that. I, you know, I heard a comedian one time say that speaking in front of public is the number one fear. Number two is dying. Wow. So most people would rather be in the casket than given the eulogy at the, at the, right. the funeral. But, um, you know, I'm at the point now that it's like, okay, God, just use me as you will. Just, you know, I'm here for the ride. Take me along. And yeah. it doesn't have to be planned out. It doesn't have to go through all those steps. Yeah. Um, but it's in the journey. It's in the journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think uh, the last point that we wanted to talk about is just that God's always there with us in the unknown, just like um, he said to Moses, I will be with you. Um, And I think sometimes it can be hard to remember that. I know when I've been in really low places, um, I've I've definitely thought God had abandoned me. Um, And I'll tell you, in those those low places, uh, that was when I got angry at God. And I maybe cussed a little. It's, it's, it's true. Pastors do cuss sometimes. Um, and it was in that vulnerability with God, though, that my heart opened even more. So I, yeah, I would just encourage, even when you're in those unknown dark places, that I think that is when God is there with you the most. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny you would say pastors cuss. Uh, <laughs> Because I, Ben Feimster that I talked about earlier, he was this incredibly uh, religious guy. We used to play tennis, and I got to see a whole different side of Ben on the tennis court. But, um, you know, I, I feel like is, if I look back at those times in my life where I felt like God had abandoned me mm-hmm. and God wasn't there, and, and you're right, there's anger in mm-hmm. that moment at times. And, you know, what I've learned is it's, it's even though I had lost faith in God, God never lost faith mm-hmm. in me uh, in that time. Um, which, you know, at some low points now, because like you said, this spiritual journey is up and down. Mm-hmm. It's not just always up. In those low moments, I always try to remember God hasn't lost faith mm-hmm. in me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he's there with me. Yeah. As we've said, I'll be with you. Yeah, I may have lost faith in myself, but God has lost faith in me. Um, Well, thank you so much for this conversation, guys. Um, Y'all just have beautiful hearts, and I'm thankful to be up here with you.